Trump withdraws from the Paris Accord. Is that all he wrote? Or is this another repeal and replace bait and switch? The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. I am going to bring you not only the libertarian perspective on this issue, but the solutions, the libertarian solution to environmentalism is sublime. It's perfect. It's moral. And I'm going to tell you all about it. But first, let me tell you what the issue is or what the news of the week is on the issue. It is that Trump, President Trump, uh, announced that the United States was withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accord. He, uh, this is the Paris Climate Accord. It was signed in or agreed upon by Obama in December of 2015. And then that it was, I guess, ratified or however you want to put it. In 2016, and it was almost 200 nations got together and agreed to voluntary reduction of carbon emissions with the goal of having, uh, I think it's 2% reduction in the climate uh, of the global temperature at the end of whatever period of time, at 2100, something like that. But the important part of the whole agreement for me was at the time, which I talked about at the time, was Obama... People were disappointed. People on the left wanted something binding, and it was completely not binding. There was nothing binding about it. There's no enforcement mechanism, nothing. So the problem was that future administrations could just ignore it, not do anything uh, to enforce it. So when Trump came out and said he was going to withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord, I was like, that's great. Uh, As a libertarian, I am not a fan of global agreements anyway. But what Trump actually said was that he wanted to renegotiate it. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but I'm open to renegotiating. And he actually retweeted a couple of tweets uh, that that emphasized that. So he doesn't you think he tweets a lot. He doesn't actually tweet a lot. So if you, you can easily just read his week's tweets in a few minutes. And he doesn't retweet a ton of tweets. So these it's important when he there's always a reason behind what he's conveying on Twitter. So he retweeted Rance Priebus's tweet, which was promise kept POTUS exits flawed Paris Accord to seek better deal for U.S. workers and economy. The White House will always put America first. Trump then also retweeted uh, a Lindsey Graham tweet. I support President Trump's desire to re-enter the Paris Accord after the agreement becomes a better deal for America and business. So what he did is, what Trump's doing here is saying, I want to redo it. I want to redo it. He, uh, he actually also tweeted, my job as president is to do everything within my power to give America a level playing field. Now, His job, in my opinion, is to, as his oath reflected, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. I think he should pull out of the Paris Accord in defense of the Constitution. I don't like treaties unless they're absolutely essential to national defense. So you could have a defensive treaty with Canada and Mexico. But short of that, you know, anything more than that, I'm wary of. So... 
so this idea that he's renegotiating a deal worries me for one big reason. There really wasn't a deal there. He could have just instructed the EPA or the Department of Energy or whatever um, not to act on this. And if Congress wanted to pass laws that reflect the goals of the Paris Accord, they could have done that and get his signature or his veto either way, regardless of what he said or didn't say about the Paris Accord. And so when he talks about renegotiating, reentering, to me, it can only be worse. It could only be a worse deal because if there's anything binding in it, if they, if other countries demand that uh, for us to lower our contribution, we have to make um, actual commitments, that's worse, in my opinion. And you could be cynical about it, really sinister, look at it sinisterly and think of what I, which I normally do, which is why I created a, a, my first law of democracy. The contrary law of democracy is that you will, at this point, you always get the opposite of what you're voting for because your, your ruler's job is to shut you up. So Obama could never get a really tough climate deal because the right would beat him down relentlessly. But if you put a Republican in there who tells you, ah, this is going to be a good deal and you trust him, he can quiet down the right the way Obama quieted down the right while he the left while he dropped 20,000 bombs on Syria in 2015 and again in 2016. You don't hear anything about it because the media on the left is never going to criticize Obama for something like that, even though they would criticize a Republican for that. So to me, it's like this perverse law of democracy where you get the opposite of what you're voting for, uh, whether you know it or not. You know, so maybe even Trump wants to negotiate a good deal. But then that brings me to this fundamental problem with the Republicans and, and even Karen Handel. So here's this big race coming up. Flip the sixth. Karen Handel, John Ossoff, it's June 20th, but the voting already started. There's a big debate on WSB. Uh, it's on WSB TV. It's also on WSB Radio Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. It's, uh, that's going to be f- interesting. But what Karen Handel said about the Trump-Paris thing was that we need a fair agreement that doesn't start with the assumption that American jobs should be sacrificed to the developing world. And here's the important part. In order to address the impacts of climate change, she did. She's she's implying that climate change is a real problem, that it's man-made, and that government solutions are appropriate. Now that sounds like a lot, but I think that's what she's saying. We need a fair agreement uh, that doesn't start with the assumption American jobs should be sacrificed to the developing world in order to address the impacts of climate change. So she's she wants a different assumption for a solution to climate man-made climate change. This is how the GOP is coming at this stuff, which is why they're like, let's have a new deal. Why have a new deal unless you're acknowledging man-made climate change, which I personally do not. Um, so let's <laughs> – I'm surprised that the the phones didn't light up for that. Let's do 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Tell me what you think about Trump's position. And I also really want to get into the libertarian solutions here. My producer, Binkley's here. He's going to read me some tweets. Binkley, how are you doing? I'm good. It's a little hotter ever since he pulled out of that climate agreement. Yes, I really feel like I, I've uh, already... Um, 
wrote my, you know, goodbyes to my children. Yeah. I feel like it's over. It's over for us all. I'm in mourning <laughs> for the planet. I want to I want to get a, a ride on on the next SpaceX craft leaving the planet. Get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Exactly. <laughs> so what what uh, what are the tweets saying? What, what we got? Alpha six says that he really believes that there will be no redo. So he doesn't think that uh, that Trump is going to re-enter the climate. I, I mean, you, see, that's the thing. If you, I once Trump bombed Syria, I felt I felt like it's crystal clear he's just carrying on the policies of the predecessors, and that's what I was waiting to be sure of. If you haven't believe, you know, if you haven't come to that conclusion yet. You're just it's just faith. It's just confidence, the confidence you have in Trump to do what what you want, not strictly just say like he strictly said, I'm pulling out of the Paris Accord. Mission accomplished. He did that. You know, that doesn't that doesn't mean he's detaching us from from the environmental global agenda, which to me is more likely a depopulation agenda, a totalitarianism agenda. Don't forget the UN is a prototype for world government. That's what it is. That's what it's there for. That is what's his the the, the brainchild. The uh, it's the brain trust of Alger Hiss, the convicted communist spy, was the guy who led the the um, conference that established the UN at the end of World War II. And the goal was to create a prototype that ultimately would have force of law, the ability to tax, all that kind of stuff. That's what the UN is for. And how do you do that? You create you break down nation states, you control land, you control people, and that's what I think a lot of this has to do with. Okay, what else you got? I got one from Corey who says that the UN already said that one nation can't renegotiate the agreement. I have heard that. Uh, uh, well, what I heard was that France and Germany and whomever like all came out and said, no, 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 sorry, it's now or never, it's this or nothing. I mean, it's classic art of the deal, right? What are they going to yeah. say? Well, we'll take anything you give us. You know, no. They're going to say, who says you can't renegotiate? Just start over. Make a new one. That looks exactly the same with a couple of changes and call it the uh, Nice Accord. You know, yeah, I mean, just, the American First. Yeah, the America First Accord. <laughs> and make it a thousand times worse, but call it the America First Accord. Call it the MAGA Accord. <laughs> and you'll, you'll get it. So uh, I think that just saying that, doesn't really help. Now, do you have any other tweets that are exactly on that, on point for that, for the pullout, like whether he's going to go back in or not? Well, I have one from Marcus. He says that Trump is setting himself up to do anything that he wants because he kind of creates the presentation that he's pulling out. Uh, okay. I... I, I don't know exactly what he means by that, but for me, I feel like a lot of this is the confidence game. It's, yeah. You want to give Trump carte blanche. He says that his mandate is to cut a better deal for America. His mandate to me is to defend the Constitution. I, I don't you know, so I'm not sure if this is a it's a it's a PR thing that he presents it that way. And everybody thinks that's what all Trump voters agree to. I don't know. But for me, if. If you're giving him a mandate to just cut a deal in his best judgment, yeah, you that's carte blanche. I don't like that. I want if – if what he said was I'm defending the Constitution, I would know he isn't going to renegotiate it. But he didn't say that. He said he wanted to create a level playing field. So let's continue this conversation, calls, tweets, and then at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to start laying out some of the 
fundamentals of the libertarian solution, which is beautiful. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. about the Paris Accord, the Paris Discord, the end of the Paris Accord. If it really is the end of the Paris Accord, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. I am going to Bill in Atlanta. Hi, Bill. You're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Hope everything's good. At any rate, I uh, was talking to a buddy of mine from New York, and he was saying, I can't believe Trump pulled out the Paris deal. You know, this kind of thing is all excited about. It. I just asked him one question. I said, why do we need an international agreement on this? Why does the U.S. need it? In other words, we've kind of fixed a lot of our stuff. You look at pictures from the 50s. You look at the smog in the air, everything else. You know, we, we fixed uh, you know, the unleaded gas versus leaded gas. And uh, we cleaned up a lot of power plants. You know, cars are getting 35, 40 miles a gallon now. So we, we fixed our own house. We have our own EPA that kind of looks at these things. Why do we need to be involved in an international agreement? And he just looked at me with the blankest stare. Like, it's like when Ronald Reagan showed up for work in 1981 and asked Paul Volcker why we needed a Fed. He just right. fell over. But it's true. I actually right. love what you're saying. Absolutely adore what you're saying because it's a one-way agreement. That's why everybody's mad. Is that I mean, it's not a one-way agreement. They're all like saying they're going to do it, but the uh, the but the premise is we're this ma- this is what they're saying. We're this massive, massive, massive produ- a polluter. We're the ones who have to come and bring all the goods. You know, it's like yo, you don't need an agreement for that. Just do it if you want to do it, and don't be bound by it to other people. Right. Exactly. And the idea that we don't need an entangling alliance that basically drives us to do things we don't necessarily need to do or should do. It's it's absolutely genius. I love it, Bill. And also, you bring up a point. We fixed our problems. I want to talk more about that. It's wealth. It's prosperity that leads us to have the extra resources to do things right, to do things clean. Rich people like clean stuff, big trees. You know, that's what they like. Uh, I'm going to fold into how a free society accomplishes that. And Jim wants to talk about flipping the sixth after the break at Monica Perez show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6, and I am eager to give you the libertarian solution to these environmental issues. We've been talking about that, the Paris Accord. Is Trump going to renegotiate it? Is this another repeal and replace bait and switch? I don't know, but I am interested in your feelings about uh, the environmental issue, if he should have pulled out, if he shouldn't have. I had a great call before the break uh, saying that, I think it was Bill, said, why are we even, why do we need an agreement to do it? Most of the work's on us anyway, and we do so much work. We we are so responsible environmentally. I, I personally think that we're, that wealth and prosperity is what gives you enough resources to keep it clean. You know, like you go to a super fancy neighborhood, they have the biggest, nicest trees. That's a priority to them. They don't have different laws from the crappy neighborhood, <laughs> you know, down the road. They they just spend their money on that stuff because we love that stuff. There's a whole lot, and that is a kind of fundamental libertarian idea that in free markets, 
with uh, strict property ownership. Uh, you have uh, human nature comes out, and that is part of it. Preserving the environment is something you want to do. And and what imparts this appreciation to younger generations is culture, is community, is intergenerational responsibility. And some of the policies today, there are environmental policies, a lot of policies that make this, that create this problem. But there is an underlying problem when you tell kids to go off to school and they never come back because they meet their spouse at college or you send them off to the service, you have wars or even this what's called coercive engineered migration where you blow up the economies or the physical property of another country and you, you make whole communities leave their homeland. You are disconnecting people from an appreciation of their own community, of their own uh, society. And that's that's the kind of stuff that's promoted by these globalists that under undermines any kind of natural order, natural solution. So I want to get into some of those ideas a bit. But there's such a big local issue right now is this uh, national push to flip the sixth. The sixth district in Georgia is like this big national push. And uh, it's Ossoff versus Handel. There's supposedly the latest polls are there's a dead heat. Voting's already started. The big vote election day is June 20th, but it's the the entire weight of the national liberal establishment is is descending on the 6th to get Ossoff in. So I'm happy to talk about that. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Um, but I also want to talk about the Paris Accord. So whatever you want, it's a, a veritable free-for-all. I'm going to go to Jim in Atlanta. Uh, hi, Jim. You are on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Good show. Hey, question. Um, up in this election in the 6th, uh, up in Sandy Springs, it seems so odd to me, regardless of one's uh, uh, partisan politics, that in Georgia, apparently the law allows someone to run for one of the 435 seats in the House, but not reside in the district. And I was curious whether you and your team have done any research. Does any other state allow someone to run for the House and not be a resident in that district? It seems odd to me and something that Georgia, uh, the, the Constitution or the laws need to address. It does seem weird. I mean, I believe the Constitution of the United States requires that you that you reside in the place that you represent. I think ultimately that would be such an easy an easy law to get around. I mean, you just move. But I agree. I, I the the bottom line is though, once these people get elected, they don't they don't live there anymore. They they live in uh, in D.C. All of a sudden, right. they're you know not even. D.C. people, they're kind of internationalists. They're, um, so I think that it wouldn't matter. It, another thing that I was talking about that people really came down on me for, I wasn't really taking a position. I was just kind of throwing the question out there. Is it reasonable for all this foreign money to come in? I mean, foreign, like not Georgia. It's the most expensive congressional seat ever. Obviously, there's huge uh, impact on the country, on the direction of the country. What the importance of this election is that uh, the 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 dominoes would fall. That the 2018 elections would get uh, would give the Democrats a lot more seats. Would undermine Trump's presidency. It would be a referendum on Trump. Um, 
so this has symbolic meaning and but I think I actually think it's even more important to them because I feel like there has been almost since since I moved to Atlanta uh, in 2008, there seems to me, maybe not that early ago, but over the past few years for sure, these people, there is a concerted effort to not just flip the six, it's just to flip the South. To There there are traditions in the South, states' rights represented by the Confederate flag. I understand that, uh, that the Confederate flag has been associated with racism. Uh, you know, I don't like that, but but states' rights is not an inherently racist concept. It's an inherently uh, American concept that the local control of government is better. And this is something I think that the South is like the last bastion of. And what these guys want to do from all around the country, the reason the South is so important is they is that they're go- they want to kind of loosen that white-knuckled grip on even just the concept of states' rights, like the concept of the American experiment, the concept of limited government uh, that is so American, they're they're actually coming at it from left and right because this idea that populism is now a Republican thing, that we want uh, Trump to go around the world and cut deals for us so that we can benefit our workers and our business, that's not an American... You know, that's not the American tradition. The American tradition is small government, limited government. Uh, free markets will result in prosperity and uh, liberty will allow you to pursue what you want. That you don't need to once you uh, stipulate that the government should use its force for you, you're violating those fundamental rules. So I feel like they're coming in. They want to to just kind of end the American experiment by flipping the south and that's why i think it's so important um and that's why all this foreign money i think it's like 30 million dollars coming in it's obviously not just about one congressional seat um but binkley here has done you always have your finger my producer binkley's here <laughs> you you always have the your finger on the pulse of uh, the resistance. It just I can't even say that. We were the resistance. The resistance is the the remnants, the last uh, bastion of um, defense of the American experiment. But okay, let's call it indivisible or whatever. It's this. It's this nationwide movement that's trying to get millennials and snowflakes and stuff off the couch to to just. Put huge D's up everywhere. Like, like it doesn't even mean anything. It's just, and even this, this climate thing. The GOP, half those Republicans are saying, well, you know, I understand. Even Karen Handel, uh, climate change is actually obviously a problem we need to address at the government level. It's like, no, it's not. And she didn't say those words, but that was the impression I got from what she was saying. So, I don't like it, <laughs> and uh, I feel like this D versus R thing is getting more and more. Uh, heated and less and less meaningful. But what are they coming up with, Binkley? Um, how are they trying to flip the six? Well, they're helping him with more than just money across the country. For example, Indivisible Berkeley is holding phone banking parties all throughout June where they get together and use call scripts to call voters in the 6th District and pitch John Ossoff. Doesn't that just goal you? Doesn't it, that just... It's insane. I remember when I went, I've marched against Obamacare three times. I went to Washington, D.C. Um, 
even my husband went with me, my friend Deirdre, like we all went and uh, we just, I I spent literally like four hours each trip making signs, um, fantastic signs. I've talked about this before. There's one on my Facebook page, Tyranny Today, Revolution Tomorrow. And it's just... Uh, great artwork. It was super great. It was just, you know, I, 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 I did actually want to put blood dripping off because I made it <laughs> like the American flag and my husband stopped me from the blood dripping. And people were a little freaked out by my presence there because I was all Ron Paul. But by the end, people were on my side for sure. But the but the crowd, it was hundreds of thousands of people, and it was like a 4th of July party. It was like a Memorial Day party. It was like everybody was wearing their flag sweatshirts, their flag fanny packs. There were a lot of fanny packs. <laughs> but it was just middle America as if it were like on King of the Hill. You know, it was just completely uh, caricature-ish. And people were super nice. I mean, it was super neat and clean. I'm telling you, I think that the field, the mall, whatever, was neater and cleaner after these people left than when they got there. Like, when the garbage was overthrown, you'd see, like, all these, like, stacked-up cans and everything next to the garbage. So funny. But the staffers, the the government people who were on the trains, because D.C., I haven't been there many times, but it's so, like, manicured. It's so neat that, uh, you know, it's obviously people spent a lot of money that wasn't theirs on making it perfect. But the people in the trains were... Uh, contemptuous of us so they were looking at us in their their fancy suits and stuff i was my job had been an investment banker i went to law school and business school like i i had suits you know i did not wear my american flag fanny pack but i i i recognized the professional type but they were uh so contemptuous i was like uh, i said to one of them something like wow i i bet you don't know what you, what hits you, uh, you know, all these people. And she was just like, I know exactly what's hitting us, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, oh, come on. And then there was a European tourist there with, with a couple of other people saying, what? What's going on? And I said, uh, oh, you would have had no experience with this ever in your entire life. But these are people out there protesting. These are activists who want less government. You know, they want government to spend less money. You know, you would have no idea. And that's why Obamacare was so important to me, because once you uh, made health care a government operation, it makes the entire economy more than 50 percent government. So that's why Europe can never have a, conser- a true conservative movement. That's why this populism that they're attributing to Trump is so dangerous because what they're saying is, yes, governments can have all this power and control. They just need to use it for us. So then you lose all control in the private sector. And even your conservatives are simply activists who are fighting for this big government power, this big government money to work for them. Instead of just saying what we were saying when we were trying to stop Obamacare, don't do it. We can handle it ourselves. And that's the difference between the American conservatism and the European conservatism that we're moving towards. I'm beginning to like give up all hope on on the American experiment if we continue to um, to have hope that the Republicans are going to save us because they're not. It's uh, They work against us half the time. I really worry about that. Alan wants to talk more about... Flipping the sixth, uh, so do I. 404 872 1-800-WSB Talk. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 955 at AM 750 WSB. 
87 is the high today. 67 is the low overnight. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. Uh, we're talking about the 6th for a bit. We are also talking about the Paris Accord, so call about whatever you want. Um, actually, call about whatever you want. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to Alan in Marietta. Hi, Alan. You're on with Monica. Hi there again. Uh, I want to know your opinion on what the news media is going to say after Oslof uh, loses. Are we going to be despicable southerners, ignorant southerners, stupid southerners, or this is a fraud? Or I'd just like to know what's your opinion. We have to have a, a list of things up here. We're actually making bets on it. But it's so um, important I, to them. I, I mean, I do not want this guy to win at all. And, I mean, I have no love for Karen Handel, but I, Oslof just represents... Uh, what I was talking about earlier was when I was in D.C. and these the suits were all giving me drop-dead looks for fighting against Obamacare. Binkley told us that the guys in Berkeley are reading scripts and calling people in the 6th to get them to vote for Ossoff. And I feel like those people who wanted to puke on us and our little flag T-shirts against Obamacare are the same people who are calling like they are it is so important so I really do not want him to win I consider it a like an invasion I do not like it but I you're you, are you confident he isn't going to win I'm worried oh I'm I'm pretty sure he's not going to win I mean they, as much money as they spent on Hillary and they still lost in the state of Georgia you spent all the money but that's hard-headed southerners we're going to vote our way and honestly if Oslof dies I was in his district I would be out there campaigning against him religiously. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, I, we don't elect foreigners. And I, and I consider Oslof a foreigner. And, you know, <laughs> it's just, you know. He is I, from I, here. It's like the old joke, you know, just Alabama, where's your border pass? Binkley, well, you think like that he's a foreigner, too? Binkley. I, I think Binkley. he serves foreign interests. His business is located in the U.K., and, and that's where he spends a lot of his time. Is his mother British? Is that what his connection is there? I think she is Australian. Oh, because he died. Well, he went to London School of Economics. He's definitely an internationalist, yeah. a globalist. Like, that's yeah. all true. But I worry about the validity of the vote. I hear what you're saying, Alan, but I feel like yeah. the vote is uh, you can't necessarily trust it. But, you know, if he does win, it costs him over $90 million just to win this one little seat. I thought it was 30. Why do you say 90? Well, you got to figure the Democrat Party spending money on them. Uh, uh, other interests are spending. I mean, also, I believe it's more like $90 million. Well, there's a lot of value in the non-cash stuff, like people calling. It was like Trump. He spent virtually nothing, but I think the latest estimate was like 4 or $5 billion in free advertising that he got. I mean, this stuff is where the rubber hits the road. So, yes, it's a much more expensive race than the dollars and cents, but that's why I feel like... I don't know. It's hard for me to, to, I don't trust the vote exactly, but I feel like uh, they're working hard. They, and I don't think they're working for nothing. Jerry, I'm going to get to after the break. He wants to talk about Obama's birth certificate. Anything goes. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. <clears throat> you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. 
This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And I'm giving you the libertarian perspective on Trump's pulling out of the Paris Accord. I actually have libertarian solutions. And here's a, a hot sports opinion. I think that if we had a libertarian society, a society that recognizes absolute property rights, then we would not have environmental problems at all if we do. Um, but to the extent we do, like pollution is a real is a real thing. And uh, and there was a libertarian answer to that. I, it, the great Murray Rothbard, Mr. Libertarian, uh, in one of his fantastic uh, historical and economic works, I can't remember the name of, he talked about how during the Industrial Revolution, people were suing for trespass that a factory would spew smog and stuff. It would get on your trees. Remember your, you learned in school how like the black moths were survived when there was soot. And then when they cleaned it up, the white moths survived. It was like an evolution thing because white moths on the black soot would get picked off by birds. I just remember that whole thing. Well, if your tree turned black because of soot from a factory, you could sue the factory and it either had to st- shut down or clean or compensate or whatever. Strict enforcement of property rights was keeping pollution in check. Then the government stepped in and said, we can't do that anymore. You cannot sue for that because it's too. we need industry too much. So it's really not recognizing people's property rights. And then the solution is always, uh, so they take away your property rights. People don't take care of property then. And then they say, oh, we need to step in. And have total control over everybody's property so that they don't abuse the environment. Just from a, a really theoretical level, a free society with absolute property rights would not have these kind of problems. So it's really that tragedy of the commons, you know, where it, the less the land is owned by an individual with responsibility, the less it's cared for. But there, there are a lot of specifics issues and environmental issues that I can answer with libertarian solutions. I'm happy to field any of those questions. Uh, but there are other things going on, too. So you can call me with those uh, or other comments. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. If that's busy, go to 800. Uh, <laughs> those are both numbers. If the 404 number is busy, try the 800 number. Or you could tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Uh, but things that are happening locally, Greg Allman's funeral is today in Macon, and that bums me out. I saw the last Allman Brothers shows in the Beacon in New York a couple of years ago. Um, so he's being laid to rest there today next to his brother. And um, the big political news, local news, is the 6th District, Flip the 6th. Everybody's listening to that. WSB is having a debate. WSB TV and WSB Radio is going to cover it Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. And the actual election day is June 20th, although it started already. But the, the what's so interesting about it is it's the most expensive congressional race ever. They have... Uh, there's just it's so important for the Democratic establishment in this country. All the millennials and snowflakes and everything are mobilizing from coast to coast. Uh, Binkley, my producer Binkley is here. He was telling me that they have people from uh, as far away as Berkeley, California, uh, calling people here with prepared script trying to get them to vote for us off. 
And I, I just was laughing because when you see behind the scenes how political operatives work, the Democrat machine, I don't know about the Republican, but when I was in D.C. marching against Obamacare and all the, the government workers, professionals I'm talking about, were contemptuous towards us for wanting small government, for not wanting them to run our lives. And I just have this vision that the people who are calling from their ivory towers, even if they're even if they're just privileged students at Berkeley, like the people who go there, obviously that's where all the protests are taking place, whatever. They're making an effort on social media and, and whatever to make this an emotional Ossoff must win, you know? And I know, Binkley, were you telling me that even just uh, when you were on social media and people were freaking out, was this was it a local contact? What, what was the it was a, it was about the Ossoff race on a, you know, kind of locally frequented social media? Yeah, somebody outlet. asked a question. They just wanted to know you know what you would want to talk to Ossoff and Karen Handel about during the debate. And I responded with a question that I'd like to know a little bit more about his father. Why is his father never talked about? And I got attacked by a gaggle of clearly people working for the Ossoff campaign, according to their profile pictures. Uh, Oh, wow. So real trolls. Well, that story, you and I talked about that uh, last week on the show, and then we also did a podcast about it. So if anybody wants to go to propagandareportdaily.com, they'll be able to look at our kind of episode list. The last couple of episodes talks about that because really Ossoff has all these deep state connections, deep state and international even. You were saying his business, his education is all in England. Um, and, uh, you know, his father, what was his father's business? It was about like tax. What, what's his business? What is that business you were telling me about? It's called Stafford Publications and they, they deal with specialized intelligence. They teach big, big companies and, you know, people that have the money, how to deal with stuff like the tax code, how to master the tax code, how to, how so to, the fact that the tax code is super complicated gives people who can afford this service an advantage yes. against their competitors, mm-hmm. right? But it also gives the guy who provides the service a source of income. Yeah. So a less complicated tax code would cost his dad money. Is that what? Are you going? Exactly. Are you saying that? That am I interpreting correctly? That's what you're what saying? I. That's what. That's I your perceive, conclusion. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, I can imagine what you see. You throw, did you throw anything like that out there? Did, is that what triggered the snowflakes? I might have insinuated a little bit as to why <laughs> I was politics, asking the question. That this guy isn't in it to serve us? Exactly. That you, don't think, you know, I'm not defending Karen Handel, but this guy's whole story is I'm, I'm here to serve. I am not like a, a, a person who would serve his own interests. Right. One person's argument was – because I said something about his father working for McKinsey and Company, the big global consulting firm, and he said that intelligent people work there. That should be something good, something that shows his intelligence. And I said, if that's the case, then how come they're not talking about it? How come they're not relating that? Yeah, right. Bragging about it because you can quickly – more quickly scratch the surface. Anyway, I don't want to – uh, throw out innuendos. I just – it just seems this whole idea like I'm, you know, your good old boy who's, you know, trying to modernize the Atlanta. It's like, no, I, yeah. I, there is a chance that, in fact, you're trying to – you're working for outside parties since they are paying for you. Uh, so um, I did say anything goes, so let's take some more calls. 800-WSB-TALK is the best way to reach me. I'm going to Jerry in Fatville. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Monica. I love your show. I wish it was on every day. Yay! Thank but you. I, and I heard you. Talk, I, I tuned in late, and I heard you talking about John Ossoff. He doesn't even live in his district. He's running. In my opinion, that's 
kind of voter fraud. I think you should own property in the district you're running for office. That is so interesting. I have to say, I don't know if I have time to bring out this idea, but one uh, when I was thinking about the environmental issue, I remembered that Patrick Henry talked about how if we don't have a farming society, if we don't have an agrarian society, we will not be able to keep the American experiment. We will not be able to have limited government. You need people to own property to feel like they are invested in this place. And that and my argument was that and, and they actually that was the justification for having property ownership rules to vote, not just to run, but to yeah. vote. Just move in with your girlfriend and you can run for office. It doesn't make sense. I, one more question after you finish there I'd like to ask. Go. Uh, yeah, I've always wondered. I, I'm 66 years old. My whole life, I always thought to run for president in this country, you had to first prove that you're a natural-born citizen, show your birth certificate. And then Obama comes and runs for office, inaugurated, and then two years later, he shows the birth certificate. Which... Which, the one that they showed, I believe, I really think they were messing with the world. I, I actually don't, I think he was born here. I don't know. I don't, my problem was that we elected a socialist, not where he came from. Although, like, well, I am. Why would you have to show that before you run? I mean, if yes. I go get my driver's license, they don't let me drive for two years before I show my birth certificate. I know. The laws are not enforced. And, and people didn't like it when I was saying this, but Ted Cruz also. He did not. I mean, he really that would have been a true constitutional crisis because I think both of his parents were Canadian citizens and not U.S. citizens when he was born. But he could have resolved that very easily by showing proof. Same thing with Obama. Uh, And I think the bottom line is we're simply we don't our they don't uphold the laws anymore. No, I mean, what's more important than the president of the United States? It's a form of voter fraud. I mean, a guy living moving in with his girlfriend to me. People should be up in up in arms protesting this. Yeah, I, I don't like it either. And I, I think it's funny because I didn't expect this to dovetail with the climate thing. But but it all comes down to being invested in where you are and in having this Brad Rad tweeted to me like the word environment is misused. That environment is really the area that surrounds you. It's that there's no global environment. You have your environment and even an animal even a wild animal takes care of its environment. You know, it takes care of it, keeps his little nest clean, you know. So so this idea of local power, local attachment is is this, the root of this kind of taking care of your environment, of husbanding your environment, and also of caring about the laws that you bring. Because if you don't have to live with those laws or you live in a place where uh, he's going to live in D.C., the laws he personally wants – or his maybe his parents' business is connected to England or whatever. The laws he personally wants are going to be um, not the ones that his neighbors would want if he lived there. So it's an interesting point. I like it. Um, lots more calls. I am going to Richard next, but I got to take a uh, and Melanie. I got to take a quick break. Four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty eight hundred WSB Talk. Or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. 70% chance of shower or thunderstorms tomorrow. High of 82. The weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. 
And uh, kind of anything goes, so we'll uh, just take some calls. 800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to Anthony in Snellville. Anthony, you are on with Monica. Uh, good afternoon, ma'am. Uh, yes, ma'am. I do not live in the 6th District, but I really think, and I believe, that uh, Karen Hindle is going to win it hands down. Really? Why? Well, I know y'all had some on the news this afternoon, y'all had where the whole show that is pretty even. But yep. I, I'll go back to what I heard on your station a couple of days ago. They had one poll that showed, uh, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Ossoff? Yes, that he was up 51-44. I saw right that. Then it, right then and there, I thought, well, Hendel's got it. Uh, what? You thought Hendel had it? Yes, Hendel. Even though it. she was trailing in that poll? Yes, ma'am. I don't believe that was a true poll. Oh, yeah, but here's the problem, Anthony. This is why I find it very difficult to predict outcomes based on how I think people are going to vote, is that I'm not sure I believe the votes are fully counted. I I think um, a couple of people told me there are lawsuits out there to not, there is a lawsuit out there to not allow uh, Georgia to use their electronic voting machines because they are so flawed that they want to go back to verifiable or paper voting. I'm a huge fan of paper voting, verifiable voting. Uh, But I, I don't, I can't even just like try to feel the, the spirit of the people because I'm not sure that's going to be reflected in the vote count. So are you saying that when they count the votes that it might be rigged some way? Like, yeah, I, I not not the vote. Well, won't they have yeah. like uh, posters there, you know, from both parties? Yes. Making sure that it is accurate. And- I was one of those people once. I didn't see anything. I sat there for 12 hours. I read an entire novel. They just walked past me with boxes that were closed. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, I wouldn't even have known if somebody uh, you know, uh, still set, like it was crazy. I, I wasn't happy with it. I'd never done it before. Somebody wrote to me yes, and I was ma'am. like, okay, I'll sit here and, and do that. Uh, but there was no instruction. Like you need to make sure 15 boxes come in. You need to check this off. It was, you need to sit there and at the end sign that you sat there. And I did, you know, but I was horrified by it. That was the, when Kasim Reed won the first time against Mary Norwood, you know, he, when he became mayor, that was the election I sat there. So, if they go back and sue, there should be verification. Uh, so many more calls. If you're on hold, I'll get to you next. Hang on. Tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I am the libertarian voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. Talking about a few different things. This week's uh, big news was Trump withdrew from the Paris Accord. I thought the Paris Accord was a nothing burger, and I think his withdrawal is a nothing burger. The only thing I'm really worried about is that he's saying and tweeting and retweeting other people saying that they're going to renegotiate it, that it's another repeal and replace. (laughs) I cannot face that. So we shall see the true meaning of Trump when things like that come down the road. Let's see five years from now if we are in a more or less binding agreement on this stuff. I hate it. The, The solution to environmental problems is libertarian in nature, starting with, well, you wouldn't even have to have this perfect libertarian society, but the government creates growth, excess growth, unsustainable growth, promotes consumption in a few different ways that 
that that create this problem. That if you want to talk about burning too much carbon, <clears throat> one thing they do is they depress interest rates. That encourages growth. It encourages people to um, spend money and build things, and maybe they, you know, wouldn't build as much if interest rates were higher. Uh, infrastructure spending, government spending on infrastructure subsidizes transportation, subsidizes commerce. Uh, in, it it makes people choose to transact rather than choose to stay home and play cards with their kids. Foreign wars soften up oil markets, make it easier for us to get foreign oil, it drives down the price of oil. That also promotes this kind of artificially promotes growth. Debt subsidies, direct subsidies, um, tax write-offs, all these kind of things promote real estate development. I'm not saying you don't benefit from that. I'm not saying that people don't want growth and jobs and everything. But what I'm saying is people, like an argument for environmental controls is what they call negative externalities, that, that, you, that you pollute and, uh, and you don't care that it lands on other people's property. I'm saying that the government is actually encouraging hyperproduction, hyperproductivity, hyperconsumption. It subsidizes everything through especially low interest rates. And start with that. Tell the government to just stop subsidizing hyperactivity and you would reduce carbon emissions as people chose to spend more time at leisure than uh, pursuing marginal economic transactions. So I'm happy to explain that further if anybody wants to hear it. And take calls, 800-WSB-TALK, at Monica Perez Show. We were also talking about the 6th. Uh, um, if you want to talk about the Ossoff handle race, that's great. There was a caller, Gary, had to hop. If you want to call back, Gary, I want to hear your six untruths about Ossoff. I think that should be interesting. But in the meanwhile, I'm going to go to Richard and Ackworth. Hi, Richard. You're on with Monica. Hey, just a couple of thoughts. Um, you know, you talk about... Um this election being a re- uh, referendum on Trump and all that kind of stuff. It, as I recall, special elections generally don't have a whole lot of effect on the midterms. So I don't know that that's really going to play a part, although they're trying to make the case for that. I guess yes, that's the thing. Deal. that I, I, I'm, I think that the fact that they're spending more money here than anywhere else, one, I think that it comes to the symbolic importance of mm-hmm. is Newt Gingrich's district. It's yeah. the reddest of the red. I hate that it's called red because it's a commie color and CNN made red. <laughs> the Republican color makes me crazy. But it's a, the reddest of red. If they can, if they can flip it, they, regardless if it's even true. I mean, that's the thing. Regardless of it's if it is a referendum on Trump, if it is uh, indicative of things to come, they will not stop driving that point home. It's oh, no. all they will say. And that might make it reality in this propaganda world. And, and the other part, you you know, when you listen to Trump, you have to be careful, because if you look at several things, uh, replace and repeal, um, building the wall, moving the embassy to Jerusalem, <laughs> yes. and here it is on the Paris... Everything, if you read his art of the deal, everything you state the extreme and hope for something in the middle. And that actually, Binkley's always quoting me the art of the deal. So yeah. he, my producer Binkley's he never, here shaking he his head. You can't trust anything he says. Nodding his head. Saying well, something to throw out there so he can make a deal with somebody. It's not just that, but it's that 
I think he's very people are trying to paint him like his enemies or whatever the mainstream media. I read in the Wall Street Journal all the time as impulsive, irrational, emotional, all this kind of stuff that he tweets recklessly at three in the morning. I personally think that his statements, his promises, his tweets are highly uh, scrutinized, are really carefully crafted so that he can do things like I said I would pull out of the Paris court and I did. I didn't say I wouldn't replace it with something worse. You assumed that's what I meant, but that's not what I said. I'm not saying that's how it's going to play out. I'm just saying he crafts stuff like like there's like a like a lawyer would like I learned how to do when I went to law school. Like don't say that because it's not strictly true, but nobody will notice. (laughs) I was like, oh, you know, and I I think the other part of that is he's a he. I don't think he is a policy person. I don't think policy matters to him. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? He doesn't. He doesn't care about ideology or policy or whatever he wants to be the winner that makes that deal whatever yeah. it takes it doesn't matter there's no principle involved there's no nothing involved i just want to be the person that makes that deal that's absolutely uh, i agree with you i i think that there's always like deeper levels to what's going on but when that's why i got annoyed when i saw his tweet that said um i have it written down here he said my job as president is to do everything within yeah. my power to give america a level playing field and i he tweeted back because i know he <laughs> he checks my tweets every day i tweeted back no it's not it's to preserve protect and defend the constitution of the united states as per your oath of office and if right. he had said i'm pulling out of the paris accord because of i want to defend the constitution that's the law of the land let Congress passes pass laws if they want to about the EPA. And not to mention, I'm not gonna cut you off, Richard, I want you to hang on, but I want to finish Thanks. this thought, which is I the the first day of I went I went to Stanford Law School, very kind of liberal place. And and the business school too, which was also a liberal place. But when I showed up for the first day of admin law, administrative law, these people are little dorks and they know the nuances of the law. And the, and the first thing the professor said is, I do not want to see everyone's hand come up to say administrative law is unconstitutional. It is. Right. It's with us. Forget it. It's unconstitutional because it's legislation made by the executive branch. So if Congress exactly. wants to regulate the air or whatever, they should pass laws. Instead, the EPA or whatever passes these regulations that have the force of law that are enforced. So, so it doesn't matter. Uh, well, see the argument. The argument behind that that everybody makes is that well, Congress has given them the authority to do that. Well, it, it's not Congress's place to give them the authority to do that. Yeah, it's a dereliction of duty. They abdicate yeah. their responsibility to say this up down thing on the treaties. Don't forget they did that. They gave the president mm-hmm. up down power over treaties going forward, which is absolutely unconstitutional. It's supposed oh, to yeah. be a supermajority. So they don't want to do anything. They want to. They want to get elected and sit there and make a bunch and, of money and make all these promises. And, and especially and the, same thing. the Republicans love to not oh, the have worst. power. They love. Oh, yeah. To not have power, because look, with power comes accountability. They repealed Obamacare like 50 times or something when they didn't have the power to actually see it through. Now that they have the power, they're like, we didn't mean it. Some of them even said that. We didn't mean it. It was symbolic. So they get to pound the table from the back benches. If uh, and then they still get to say to Exxon or whoever is is padding their lifestyle, I'll vote. I'll vote with you. My vote counts just as much. I don't have to be the majority to vote with you. Right. Right. But see, and I think that's what's going to cost the midterms is they made all these promises and they get up there and it's like you said, well, we didn't mean it. Right. They don't want I don't think they want this might be this might be the time where some people say, well, I'm not sending him back. 
And then all you have is Democrats. Yeah. Like, then what? Isn't that scary? <laughs> then we're all, then we truly are, as Newsweek said the day after Obama got elected. We're all socialists yep. now. Yep. yep. You know, I mean, it. it's, it's the end of it. quite clever how they're doing this. Anyways, I know Paul you got a lot of callers. I could talk to you all day. I Thanks, love your Richard. show, Thanks. and I hate the fact that you get bumped by Georgia football. But hey, oh, but people like football. Podcast. I lo- I'm, hey, I'm a huge Bama fan. I love college football, but I'd rather listen to you than Georgia football. Wow, that's that is high praise indeed, Richard. I'm actually going to cut that out and send it to my boss. But uh, that that's the bread and butter of the station. I'm happy to share. Thank you very much for your kind words. I am going to go to Jared in Kennesaw. Hi, Jared. You're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Ooh, you're cutting in and out, Jared. Can you get into oh, the right spot? Me? Yep, now I can. Okay. I wanted to uh, ask you what you think about the Bilderberg meeting that's going on right now in Washington. I think I saw the headline flash. Um, yeah, it's in D.C. I... I about this specific meeting, I didn't dig in. It's obvious to me that the bill, you can even watch some of the real establishment guys, Dick Morris and. Um, well, yeah, a lot of uh, Trump's top officials are there. McMaster, um, I think one of his assistants on the Security Council. See, I think so. that stuff is actually. Um, some people say it's against the law to have sitting government officials go to a kind of international body like that, because what those people do is they really do set policy like uh, there is. Oh, yeah, they yeah. they did. They, they um, the euro, they bragged about how they how that was planned out at the Bilderberg. And there's a there's a document that Heidi Cruz uh, signed off on and William Weld actually chaired the committee called Making a North American Union. And one of the things it says is you want to establish an extra legislative, like an ex-jury, whatever, outside the law body. And it quotes sites like the Bilderberg Group that will tell legislators what to do. Behind the scenes. This came out of the, I think it was the Council of Foreign Relations, but Bill Weld, Heidi Cruz, all those people were in on it. They know. And there are these extra, um, extra legal bodies, outside the law bodies, that tell our legislators what to do. That's what they are. That's what yeah, they're designed I, to be. I, I've also heard that some rumors are saying that Trump might even be going there. I don't know if that's true or not, but. Uh, well, I. I don't, you know, those the that level of detail. I do not know. I don't think they need him to go there. That would be kind of crazy. I'm sure he has. I mean, if he is connected to them, he has handlers. McMaster can handle it and just come back. You yeah. got to parse this stuff out, and the less they know, the better. These face jobs, you know that. <laughs> that's rude. I don't mean that. But if you have your figurehead, I think is what I meant. <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, you know, it's just, I, you know, that always happens every year. So. I just yes. wanted to see what you had to say about it. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, people I've seen, people write me off because I acknowledge the Bilderbergers' power. But so do, like, Carl Rove and Dick Morris. Why, why don't you write, write, write them off? I mean, they admit that these people are powerful. They write it themselves. The Council of Foreign Relations, which Hillary Clinton called the mothership, said the Bilderberger Group is to tell legislators what to do in order to align laws with other countries. So, yeah, it's bad. And, uh, 
Ron and Canton, you're up next. Oh, let me take a break, and uh, I'll be right back. 800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's 81 degrees and overcast outside the studio. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. We're talking about the Paris Climate Accord and kind of bouncing between that and talking about flipping the sixth. So call me with whatever you want. 800-WSB-TALK, 404-872-0750. Or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to Ron in Canton. Hey, Ron. Uh, how you doing? Okay, Monica. How are you? I'm good. What you got for me? Um, well, I've been listening to Rush Limbaugh a few days ago. And I don't think uh, Trump needs to be negotiating anything about that Paris Accord because apparently there's a document, believe it or not, called the Treaty on Treaties. And if you try to negotiate anything with it, they could take it in a period of four years as tacit acceptance of the treaty. You know, I read a book called, a great book called Peace from the people who brought you Korea and Vietnam. It was oh, wonderful. It was really an interesting book. It was from um, like the fifties or the sixties. What I talk about is, I noticed that um, in the in the mid twentieth century, when right after World War II, there were a lot of people who were speaking out against it, against what was happening. This guy was uh, Archibald Roberts, who was a lieutenant colonel, retired lieutenant colonel, um, and. He talks about the U.N. and how really it undermines the Constitution. And we didn't properly ratify it. Like, it's very interesting. But he said the longer you uh, you acknowledge that it's real, that it exists, that we are bound by it, then you kind of become effectively bound by it. That that silence is consent. It's like a, an, an ancient kind of an old... Uh, concept and that's kind of scary. I don't the treaty of treaties. It sounds familiar to me, but I agree. I mean, you, it's good. I get then that the point is that it's good that he renounced it. Uh, I've got one other comment about Donald Trump. Everything he's done so far has all been executive order. He doesn't seem to realize until he gets real legislation passed, he's not really doing anything. You know. Uh, I was wondering if maybe that's on purpose, that maybe he's secretly working for the other side. Well, I don't know about that, but I he's wish he's got a lot of Democrats. Jared Kushner is a Democrat. Yeah, well, I- <laughs> <laughs> that's too dark. I know. I'm sorry, Ron. That was just too, too dark. Uh, but that's because I always think that there's too much at stake for big, big money guys to let some guy. Learn as he goes. But call me about it. 800-WSB-TALK. Or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Please take my hand. Now open your mind to me. Please open your mind. Open your mind. Open your mind. This is Monica Perez. I am your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. 
And we're well into this conversation, which seems to be bouncing back and forth between a Trump withdrawing from the Paris Accord and what the heck's going to happen in the 6th District here in Georgia, which seems to be like a world event. It's the biggest, the biggest congressional race by dollars ever. And uh, it has huge significance or so the Democrats are trying to present. So it is on everybody's mind. WSB TV and WSB Radio is carrying it, is doing a debate between the two of them June 6th, I think it is, this Tuesday, 8 o'clock at night. And the election is actually June 20th, but voting has already started. And uh, I'm sure you're aware of this election since they're just... uh, There's so many ads, so much activity, so much publicity about it. But also, we were talking about the Paris Accord. And uh, my concern is that the Paris Accord was totally toothless. And by saying that he's going to renegotiate, I think Trump opened a can of worms. And the GOP, of course, who absolutely always does everything you know, they just they never seem to fall on their swords for principle. They they don't get it with the climate. They will acknowledge. They say that this is a man-made problem that requires a government solution. That's how they frame the issue. Binkley was laughing. My producer Binkley's here who's laughing because I I hate that. What they're saying, they're stipulating, they're giving up the war. They're saying this is a problem that government needs to solve. And that's like that old Winston Churchill quote, which is, uh, now that you're, we know you're a whore, let's argue about the price. That, that some woman said, he said to her, oh, uh, why don't you come upstairs with me? I'll, I'll show you a good time. And she said, well, do you think that I'm a whore? And he said, well, you misunderstood. If you come upstairs with me, I'll leave you my entire estate. You know, I'm, I'm not long for this world. I'll leave you my entire estate. And she said, well, why don't you put it that way? So he said, okay, now that we know that you are actually a whore, let's argue about the price. But it's the same thing with the, with the, with the Republicans. When they look at government and they say government is the solution, we need more of it. You're just arguing about at what price. You're just arguing about what flavor, what brand. You're just you're giving up the battle for small government before it even starts. By by saying that you want to renegotiate this deal, you're just not uh, you're not articulating the principle that keeps the American experiment alive. This idea of limited government. Limited government means the government doesn't control everything. And by saying, by stipulating that the government has a role in controlling the environment, what you're saying is they can control everything because it's all about private property rights. And and they will take, and this is where that UN stuff comes from. We were talking before the break about this book uh, by, I always forget his name, Archibald uh, Roberts, that... Um, about the UN, which it's a prototype for a world government. And what they need to do is control property. They can, they want to control land. One of a, a UN meeting called Habitat One talked about how land should not be owned by people. And, and that's, that's the essence of slavery. If you can't 
own land, you have no alternative for food but the central power. And if that's if they can control the food, they can control the population. And they need to control the population in order to control the world. And that's what it comes down to. So for me, the environmental stuff is an avenue by which they can justify, you know, we can't have absolute property rights because that will destroy the earth. If you have absolute property rights, you will not be able to, uh, you won't act responsibly enough and you will destroy the world for everybody else. But the opposite is actually true. It's absolute property rights that keeps you caring forever, intergenerationally, about what the legacy you're going to leave your children, the land you're actually going to leave your children. And absolute property rights gives all the people around you the right to to sue you, to stop you, to demand um, recompense for damages if you pollute on their property. So if... If you restore absolute property rights, environmental problems go away. Certainly pollution goes away. Um, And they don't focus on pollution. They focus on carbon dioxide, which is the stuff of life. It's almost like perverse how the environmental movement focuses on the one thing that creates uh, lushness and plant life and the things that foster the growth of life instead of you know chemical pollution, which would easily be resolved in private property law, but it would really, I think, encroach on some of the super large global corporations. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to Jeff in Woodstock. Hi, Jeff. You're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about the 6th District. Um, if I recall during the presidential election, Trump did not win by a significant number. Everyone's talking about it's a red district. I mean, it is, but I would say even demographically currently, it's not as red as, you know, go back to Newt Gingrich. I mean, we're, that's pretty far, you know. So Newt Gingrich was the first Republican who won it, right? Yes. Yeah, so I think it's, I think demographically it's not like, it's not as red as red. It's not red, red, red like we're. Yeah. So here's the question: Why a, did I think there is a yeah. reason for them to go here? Is what I'm saying. So, but why then? I mean, how unsophisticated is the GOP that they let a guy who was vulnerable get tapped by the administration? Uh, so yeah, Tom no, Price should not have been tapped. The GOP, no, they have really. Either they just didn't pay attention to this, or I don't know what. You know, I can't even. I can't talk for them. I know. I, I think they probably. like being in second place because <laughs> they get to. I, I agree with you because, like you were saying earlier, they they stomp on the ground and yes. vote for them, and then when they're actually in power, they're kind of like, well, we don't really want to really go go for what we were talking about. But thanks for putting us in, though. I mean, that's, yeah, because big that's power. Big power is where the big money is, and they don't want small yeah. power. There's a document, a book by Irving Kristol, who calls himself the father of neoconservatism. He's Bill Kristol's father from the Weekly Standard. Yeah. And he talks about how the Republicans have got to stop promoting small government. They can lie to their constituents and everything, but when push comes yeah. to shove, there's no power in small government. If you want to shape the world, if you want to line your pockets, you need big government. <laughs> and if you're not going to have big yeah. government, then don't even bother running. And I'm like, yeah, wait a there's second. There's no true <laughs> republic. I mean, if you want to go true principle, you know, small government, there's not very many true Republicans in that aspect. I mean, they're all 
because the establishment. <laughs> there's a true conflict there. The ruling class yeah. wants to rule. They want power. Yeah. So that's why it's so important that we defend the Constitution, that we defend the Bill sure. of Rights, that we keep control over states' rights, that senators are elected by the state legislator instead of, you know, sure. the population at large. I have one more comment if I had time. Um, a gentleman spoke earlier, and he was saying that Trump has only done executive orders, so he really hasn't done anything, and he needs Congress to or he needs to pass legislation. Uh, my comment on that would be, well, if we go by the repeal and replace, which is you can de- debate whether you want to repeal and replace or just repeal it, nothing's being done, so I don't know what he could do possibly to foster anything being passed other than Oh, that's funny that you should say that, because I had another call who just uh, had to hang up, and when people wait, they I understand completely, but I hate to lose the calls because they're such good sure, points, sure. but you're making the <laughs> same point, which is what else could he do but do executive order? And I would say, like the Obamacare repeal and replace, what he should say is, hey, guys, just repeal it like you did 50 times before. I will sign <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. and then we can replace it, and I will sign that too. We can get it all done. That'll solve the problem. Right. That'll fulfill my campaign promise. If he called for that, it would have been done, and he didn't. With the immigration, uh, what? I was saying, ironically, Tom Price had written the bill what, in 2011, I believe. I could be mistaken, but to to replace, or replace it or repeal it or whatever, I don't know. And it was probably term, better than <laughs> what they came up with this time. But I don't know. I'm quite certain. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not I'm not a policy wonk, as they say. Erickson's your man for policy. But uh, seriously, like I I love to even if I don't agree with the politics, I really interested in the policy analysis. But there was another thing, which is the executive order, Um, the uh, immigration, the Muslim thing. Yes. When I read that the first one. Mm-hmm. It was so it just leapt out at me. This is never going to work because it's it says enforce immediately, which just the government doesn't work that way. It applied to people who are still in the air. So I felt like that was a lose on purpose thing uh, that that ban yeah. was meant to fail. And then this Paris thing. But it was great that he pulled out. Why? Why say let's renegotiate? Why get everybody behind? Yeah. That? Uh, yeah. Uh, I. I I'm a Trump supporter. I'm not. I'm not blind. I mean, I'm. You know, I'm not that far. I don't blindly support anyone, but I will vote for someone. But I'm. You know, you like to hope they're going to do the right thing. But I agree with you on the points you bring up when I listen to your show. I mean, yeah, no, and I hate to be down on it. And he was the only hope. I mean, the only the only question. (laughs) You know, the only question to me is: Was he really the only hope, or um? You know, is he really a hope or is he false hope? That's the only thing. There was no hope in Hillary. You know, I mean, in the Ossoff handle thing, obviously Ossoff is no is not any hope. Is handle? I don't know. You know, so that's the thing. It's just this this negative versus negative light. I don't know, but we'll see the true meaning of Trump over time. Four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty one eight hundred WSB Talk, uh, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show and more calls, your comments, and some more libertarian stuff. After the break, Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Today of 87, tomorrow's high 82. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And we have a weekend prize pack for you. A pair of tickets to see Barry Manilow live in Atlanta on July 27th at the Fox Theater, produced by Live Nation. And a pair of tickets to see Air Supply on August 11th at Chastain Park Amphitheater, Produced by Live Nation. First to call 404-7410-750 gets that prize pack. And I am going to the phones. If you want to call in, 800-WSB-TALK, 
is your best bet. I'm going to Steve in Griffin. Hi, Steve. You are on with Monica. Hello, Monica. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, my comment is that people that believe that the government is smart enough to control the weather or powerful enough, they are living a dream. You know, we have these nasty critters here in the South called fire ants, and government's been working on that problem for over 50 years, and they haven't come up with a solution yet for that. So you're talking about, like, HARP? People who think that... Well, well, you know, just trying to cut emissions, trying to, you know, everything, trying to do this and trying to do that, you know, to control the temperature. It's, it's not going oh, to yes, not I don't think that... Man-made activity is, we should be so lucky because the real problem, if we live this long, is going to be the Ice Age. So, yes, if we could make the world globe warmer, we'd be better to have that ability. Excuse me. I believe it's the cetaceous period. You know, Steve, I'm losing you. I can hardly hear you. Are you moving around? Let me see. Yeah, sometimes I have a bad sale. Is that better? It's better. You got another 30 seconds. Give me. Okay. Well, you know, I believe it's a spacious period. You know, car, CO2 levels were 16 times higher than they are now. Yes. And, and you know, there was an explosion of life. And Yes, I don't know the numbers, but I know what you're talking about. Like, we are in a relatively low CO2 period. Yeah, yeah the plant life on this planet is on a starvation diet for CO2. Yeah, they would, it would cut, yes, we would have much more lushness, which is why, I mean, and that's better. You know, it's better to have, uh, it's just better to have more of food. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and you know, the planet's been around for five billion years, something like it, and we're nowhere near the average temperature for that, for the time that the planet's been here. So, yeah, that's very interesting. I actually, I feel like, just like with with uh, laws of behavior, the natural law works for humanity on Earth, and that and that's what property rights are. That's that's what it all is. And we would survive if there wasn't so much central planning, so much manipulation. Let's continue this conversation after the break. Uh, send me some tweets at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. We're in the home stretch, but we still have some interesting stuff. Actually, it could be the most interesting stuff. A couple of more calls. We're talking about the Trump's withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accord. And we just had a a call before the break that I think led to some confusion. I think it was Steve, if I'm not mistaken, who what we were saying was it's it, he was kind of coming having a larger philosophical thought, which is it's arrogant to think that we that the governments of the world can get together and control the weather. That these that even even just what we're doing in the world isn't enough to really change. Uh, the climate. So, and that like rang a bell for me because I've thought that too. It feels super arrogant. But then the conspiranoid in me says it's naive to think they're not doing it already. You know, when you, when people talk about harp, they talk about chemtrails, they talk about stuff like that. I can't help but think, I don't understand it. When it comes to the science stuff, I really feel like you would have to 
a look at the actual evidence, the studies, the what you're talking even even with the climate, you know, the global warming and everything. I just um, uh, vaccines. I want to there's an answer. These are objective truths that we can find. And I just don't have the time to make a study of them. Uh, but I uh, but I feel like they they can probably do more than they're letting us know. And I know they were uh, seeding clouds, whatever. So I think maybe we start a little Twitter storm. Binkley, my producer Binkley's here. Any any tweets that reacted to that confusing call? Yeah, you had someone asking for the. It was Corey asking about if you had any research for your uh, your statement about the ice age, the impending ice age. <laughs> I didn't mean an impending ice age. <laughs> I just mean there are cycles. Ice ages are cycles. They come and they go. I mean, that's how it works. So, and actually in the 70s, the 1970s, they were talking about like a mini ice age coming, the population bomb, all these super scary things that they were talking about then that did not happen. So they had to change it to global warming or whatever. I don't know. But I was just saying, as far as humanity is concerned on a, on a planetary scale, like a cosmic time frame of billions of years, the problem is ice ages. I think that's where it becomes quite difficult to survive, whereas two degrees of heat and more CO2, it actually makes it maybe less comfortable, maybe, but it produces more food. So it's like more survivable. But I was definitely talking on a super uh, on a cosmic scale. But I, I, I want to read some stuff from the report of Iron Man. I don't want to lose Jeff. Let's go to let's go to a call. Jeff and Kennesaw, you are on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Good to talk with you. Thank you for calling. So um, I did disagree with your assessment of Donald Trump's, you know, pull out on the Paris Accord and then, you know, saying let's, let's renegotiate. One of the things he threw in that was that he said, and if we can't find a deal, we don't find a deal. Yes, I did see that. Yeah, he always leaves okay. himself an out. I makes it late. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you. The proof is absolutely going to be in the pudding with him. I think that... When Obama, when he was running, it was all hope and change. He never had a vote in the Senate, something crazy like that. Like he was just a right. blank piece of paper. It was kooky. Then, oh, so you could just project anything onto that. I liken it to the Doctor Who psychic paper where he holds up a blank piece of paper and you project onto it whatever it is you need him to be to let him through that door. And But yeah. with Trump, he, it feel, I feel like it's the opposite. Like he, ha- he, he says, you know, both things at the same time, and then depending on which side of the aisle you're on, you hear it one way or the other, which is what makes people absolutely crazy. I call it his art of ambiguity. You think of the art of the So I'm with you. I saw that ambiguity there, and I and we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. I guess so. Um, one of the things that you mentioned about the Ice Age and so on, you know, the idea of saying, oh, this could happen, that could happen, we're the officials, we know what we're doing, and yet they're wrong so many times. Yes, government does tend to muff things up more than they tend to do things well. So wrong, and I would say you can absolutely positively assume, if you're ever going to assume anything in this life, you can assume that the politicians are uh, doing what they what is in their interest and the interests of the people who butter their bread. I you to assume that any of them. I hate to say it, including Donald Trump, but to the the basic assumption must be that they are not these crusaders who are there in Washington or there at the Hague who have genuinely puzzle over what's the best thing for your children. I just don't think so. Right, so. which which essentially leaves them as being streetwalkers. Sorry, well, I know I did. I did introduce that concept earlier in the show to my I'm still embarrassed about it. But uh, 
<laughs> yes, that's what they are. But let me, if you really want to go down, come down the rabbit hole with me. I'm going to bring you down the rabbit hole. This is a something I talked about a long time ago. I haven't talked about it uh, in a while. Uh, it's this report from Iron Mountain. I, I When I first read it, I was so excited. I did like numerous shows on it. I was so, so excited. It was on the New York Times bestseller list, uh, on the nonfiction bestseller list. The U.S. government gave out 5,000 copies of it once it was exposed. And it wasn't for years that it was they recanted and said, oh, this is a hoax. People like John Kenneth Galbraith, who were asked to participate in it um, and did somewhat, to uh, Jay Fletcher Prouty, who was, uh, uh, I think some people think he was the Watergate deep throat. I can't remember, but he I love his book on JFK. These are deep state guys who said that this is a legitimate document. And even if it isn't like a report that was written in report format, it revealed what these guys, what the government was thinking. And what they did was they took 15 guys who were multidisciplinary, um, like peak multiple, multidisciplinary guys at the peak of more than one discipline. So a guy who was a historian and an economist. Um, I think John Kenneth Galbraith was asked for that role. He was like a preeminent historian, I think. And I know he's a preeminent economist. So they would have like a mathematician and a physicist in one guy. And they had 15 of these guys to come up with. The question was, the name of the report was, on the desirability and possibility of peace. So after nuclear weapons were invented, the government was faced with a problem. Nukes, this these people said, you don't think this is, you think nukes make the world a more dangerous place. They knew it made it a much safer place because even a small country could resist being invaded. There just couldn't be war anymore because you just couldn't. And Tesla, that was Tesla's dream was to make a, 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 a weapon so simple, so powerful that everyone could have one like a gun. <laughs> you know, that's a great equalizer and that it, it makes peace. So they said, look, we've got nukes now and we might get peace, which would be terrible for the hierarchy because people can't, uh, they won't obey us. So I'm going to, and this folds into the environmental thing. So I'm going to read, it's it's a couple of paragraphs, but it's really worthwhile. This is straight from the report from Iron Mountain. So what do we do? It says, the war system makes the stable government of societies possible. It does this essentially by providing an external necessity for a society to accept political rule. In so doing, it establishes the basis for nationhood and the authority of government to control its constituents. What other institution or combination of programs might serve these functions in war's place? An effective political substitute for war would require alternate enemies, some of which might seem equally far-fetched in the context of the current war system. Uh, I might just interject here. What, What enemy could not be nuked? An enemy that could not be nuked would be one that's everywhere, like uh, based on these one-off radical religious people that pop up in different countries, pop up in your own country. You can't nuke radical Islamists in Orlando, Florida. You know, just throwing it out there. Uh, It may be, for instance, I continue to read, that gross pollution of the environment can eventually replace the possibility of mass destruction by nuclear weapons as the principal apparent threat to the survival of the species. Poisoning of the air, food, water is already well advanced, and it could be promising, but it would take several generations. 
Uh, I kind of paraphrase there at the end because it's long. Um, quote, it is true that the rate of pollution could be increased selectively for this purpose. Uh But the pollution problem has been so widely publicized that it seems highly improbable that a program of deliberate environmental poisoning could be implemented in a politically acceptable manner. So they're talking about deliberately poisoning the environment just to maintain dedication to the hierarchy, to maintain social control as it is, not evolving into a better. It was all about how to keep the people in power and power. And then it wraps up um, the environmental stuff with. Uh, the principal difference is that for the purpose of motivating basic allegiance as distinct from accepting political authority, the alternative enemy must imply a more immediate, tangible, and directly felt threat of destruction. It must justify the need for taking and paying a blood price. So he talks about how people have to die or it won't really work. Uh, he said if it's a fictional model, like the environmental pollution model, listen to what they say about it. The fictive models would have to carry the weight of extraordinary conviction. Isn't that what the science guys say? Like, they just, like, freak out on you. What are you, there's something wrong with you. I, I'm telling you. It's like, what, why don't you just prove it to me? You know, but it has to be conviction. Um, it had to have actual sacrifice of life. And it would have to have the construction of an up-to-date mythological or religious structure for this purpose. And it would present, that in itself would present difficulties in our era, but certainly must be considered. So to make environmentalism a religion with, uh, you know, um, mad conviction would be essential for the environmental model. This was written in the 60s. And look what we've got. I got to take a break, but I hope that was worth it. Uh, I have some more calls and I'm going to wrap it up after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. 60% chance of shower or thunderstorm, high of 81, forecast for Monday as the work week begins, but that could change. So stay tuned to WSB for weekend weather brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And we are wrapping it up. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSV every Saturday from 3 to 6. So I will be back next Saturday, and you can always follow uh, Binkley and I do podcast, PropagandaReportDaily.com. We're uh, always, always bantering with anybody who wants to join in the fun, like day or night, basically. I feel like we have a 24-hour Twitter presence. I'm at Monica Perez Show. Binkley's at Freedom Act, uh, Freedom Act Radio. And it's super, it's really getting lively now. I really love it. I actually think it's worth signing up for Twitter just to, to, uh, banter, get your tweets read on the air. I get no value of it. It sounds like I'm plugging it, but I just, I get no value out of it whatsoever, except for the enjoyment of the communications. Uh, and these communications. So someone I really enjoy is a regular caller, Reggie. I'm going to go to Reggie. Hey, Reggie. Uh, how are you doing? Just fine. Long, just fine, Monica. Just fine. Happy Saturday to you. Long time no here. Um, I wonder how you. I just want to know how you feel about what Kathy Griffith did, and and, and do you think that her her apology is genuine and sincere, or is it just an only phony, fake, fraudulent ass apology, artificial? Is it not natural? Let me let me say a few things. Don't hang up. I'm gonna mute you though because there's a little bit of an echo. Um, so I I saw her picture just in passing. You know, I go through my Twitter feed. I saw the thing of Trump's severed head or whatever. It was obviously fake. And uh, I just like kept going. Like big deal. Like they um, after 
the Michael Moore and Ashley Judd uh, made this speech that was so, so, so like vulgar, in the true sense of the word vulgar, and attributed it to a teenage girl having written it. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Ashley Judd and Michael Moore. I literally will not talk about it on the air. So uh, it was so ridiculously offensive. I, I never thought for a second anybody would push back on her. But they all of a sudden decided to freak out on her for it. Then, by coincidence, Bill Maher was super offensive yesterday, I guess. Like, now all of a sudden people are freaking out on him. It's this weird, like, going-too-far backlash that I I had talked about how Vicente Fox, in February 2016, I pegged this. I said, Vicente Fox used vulgarity on TV against Trump, and uh, and they're going to say because Trump, you know— lowered the bar that it's all about him and now i think this is playing somehow into that that side i haven't really sussed it out so far but her apology i didn't hear everything she had to say from top to bottom but when i heard her blaming the first lady blaming his family blaming trump like he was the that um that they're after me they're never gonna let this die i was like okay i was totally like fine with whatever you want to do you're edgy blah 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 that's fine but you did hold up a hat, you know, the guy's severed head. Of course his family is going to be annoyed with you. You know, like that's just, and if he tries to use the force of law to silence your speech, okay. But um, uh, anyway, so I think I lost Reggie there, but that's all right. Uh, I love it when Reggie calls. And he always has good questions about the latest in the lamestream mainstream media, as he calls it. So that's what I think. But Binkley, your uh, what was your reaction to her, to what Kathy Griffin did? What do you think is going on? I think she thought that it was going to be universally applauded by the left. And I think the left had to wait and see how they were supposed to react. And then when they decided it was going to not be something they supported, that she decided she needed to kind of apologize. But don't you feel like, uh, you know, why did they not react that way to Ashley Judd? I mean, that was... Uh, so much more offensive. It wasn't because I mean, that was image. really truly harmful. It oh, wasn't I a... have images from oh, yeah, the disgusting right. things that Ashley Judd said. This I want to clean my brain out with a Q-tip. I have images <laughs> from what she said. Well, they compared what she did to terrorism, and you know, so they tried <sighs> to distance themselves crock. from it. <laughs> yeah, you know. But it's the left, right, who's freaking out on her, or is it... It's both sides. Yeah, I mean, I assume it's both sides, but, like, I don't know. Who cares? She's got so much PR now. She'll be fine. What is she going to do with it? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. That that kind of thing, it just shows you that the media can kind of decide what the reality oh, yeah. is, you know? And, and it really is true, though. Like, you, you want to just think it's manipulation, but it really is true. We could, of course, obviously talk about... You could you could throw out any headline. We could probably talk about it for an entire segment. <laughs> but we're out of segments, so I'm going to say goodbye. I'll see you next week, Saturday, 3 to 6, right here on WSB for the Monica Perez Show.